The Magic Book Club podcast. It's my great pleasure to welcome to the Magic Radio Book Club podcast the brilliant Jojo Boys. Thank How you are for you? Me. I'm oh, fine. Good, good, good. It is so good to have you here uh, to talk about a book that I have loved. I've really loved every page of it. Um, and uh, The Giver of Stars is. It's, it was a little bit of a departure for you. It is a bit of a departure. It is. Yes. So yeah. um, I, I know the story, but how did this 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 little nugget of a story start? Because it's just so unusual. Okay, so um, I was reading the internet, as writers do before we start work, and I found a, a, an online magazine called The Smithsonian, which had a, a tiny article about the pack horse librarians of Kentucky. And there were these amazing pictures, black and white old pictures from the 1930s of these women who were employed by President Roosevelt under his WPA scheme to take books out to remote families who lived in the middle of nowhere who might otherwise, he felt, fall victim to snake oil salesmen, (laughs) religious fundamentalists and people who didn't believe in facts. (laughs) And I thought, oh, interesting. That resonates, doesn't it? (laughs) um, But it was these pictures that were so striking, these, these young women loaded up on horseback with these books and magazines and comic books and dictionaries and all the rest of it, about to ride up to 140 miles a week through some of the most rough terrain you can imagine. I mean, and and having to combat snakes and moonshiners and, you know, isolation, getting lost. Uh, It it was extraordinary. And I I thought, I have to write this. You know, just viscerally, I felt I have to do this. It's so, uh, it's, it's, I mean, it it has so much drama innate in in its existence Mm -hmm. anyway. I I can imagine, however, um, to kind of Fill this out a little bit in terms of, you know, because the language is so spot on and the descriptions, I know you spent time there, but in terms of uh, researching the rest of their world, I can't imagine there was a great deal to go on about women in the 1930s in this particular part of the world, especially especially women who were not part of society, who are on the outskirts, like, like Marjorie, our mm-hmm. hero, is... Uh, no, that's absolutely true. It's a very niche. It was a, a set, uh, seven years set period and over a very limited part of Appalachia. Um, so although they, they reached 100,000 families during that and that's time. In, I mean, that's insane. Yeah, and they, I mean, they were these are women with a mission. They were so determined to do this. And, um, you know, the religious men pushed back against it because they felt that women shouldn't be doing anything except keeping home or maybe even reading the Bible if they were lucky. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's a classic tale of the patriarchy not really liking women's freedoms. But it's also, I really wanted to write a book about female friendship. And, and what I did in terms of the research, I, I didn't just go out there three times, but I also found an academic resource called JSTOR, which has the most niche subjects you can imagine. So you can type in things like jail conditions for women, Kentucky, 1930s, and it will have something. So my my flat is just full of bizarre little pieces of information. You know, yeah. how many miners were there from Sweden in, in East Kentucky? In You, you know, know this stuff now. I know it's great. This, I'm weird and obsessive about mining conditions in Kentucky. Yeah. They, um, the, the sisterhood is, is a wonderful sort of central core mm. or core of the book and um you know it's uh, we we have marjorie who's the who's the sort of outlaw character on the fringes of this this tiny you know this tiny village and then the arrival of alice who's who's this pristine young british girl uh who comes with the hope of a new life um and it doesn't quite work out like that no. does it alice is escaping a stifling upbringing in in the outskirts of london and she thinks she's marrying this square-jawed American. She's going to be whisked away to New York and, you know, the races and all the rest of it. And what she finds is she basically ends up in 
Baileyville, Kentucky, which is a sort of dirt road track collection of houses in the middle of nowhere. And really the, the librarian scheme is the thing that gives her some hope and, and, and takes her out of herself because her marriage turns out to be not what she'd hoped. And she's living with her father-in-law, who is the owner of a local mine and is a, a kind of a first comedic character and then it gets a bit darker. Yeah. He's not nice at all. He's not nice at all. Uh, and, and that, those, when uh, at the beginning when the, the library starts working well and they, and they pull in the character of Sophia, who mm-hmm. has experience but is a, a black lady from the, from, who has lots of librarian experience mm. in the Black Library. Because Louisville, Kentucky, was the first place in the United States to have what they called a coloured library. Up until then, due to the Jim Crow laws, black people were not allowed to borrow white people's books. I mean, it was extraordinary. And it's really... But you balance it so well because there's this... this is this is fabulous uh, friendship going on mm. and these all these little pathways of hope, you know, the, the evenings, the couple of evenings, the, the handful of jokes that they share together... All that is 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 bubbling away, thinking, you know, you have this great sense of they found each other and, and this is great and maybe they'll manage this stifling community because they've got this. But even as Sophia comes in and Alice gets going and the two other girls, um, the two other girls, Beth and Izzy, Izzy Beth and Izzy come in and that well, that's not an easy decision for either of them as, as well. That was difficult in their own ways mm-hmm. for them to join in. You know immediately that there are cracks going to start forming. Yes, because what they're doing, I mean, one of the things that they're passing around is, is a real-life book by Mary Stopes called Married Love, love which and was banned in the States because it was considered to be filth. So um, this this is this is this I mean not only are they working mm-hmm. spending time together mm-hmm. talking about things that they obviously shouldn't be talking about yes. uh, going places where they shouldn't be going but there's at the core which is sending huge ripples out is this little blue book. Yes. Tell us about the little blue book then. So the little blue book is is called Married Love by Dr. Mary Stokes, I can't, who is I'm so famous in this country. Um, and it was the ban that the Americans put on it was overturned by a federal judge who believed that it was an important book. I mean, and when you read it, it's it's very much of its time, but it is quite radical in that it, it doesn't, it's not a kind of obscene book, but it does use words that might have raised a few eyebrows at the time. And it, what it tries to do is improve communication between husband and wife so that a husband will understand when a woman is most likely to be available to him, shall we say, <laughs> and for a woman to understand her own biological processes, if we, if we like. I mean, that's a really dry way of putting it, but you know yeah. what I'm saying. And so she just wanted to improve communication. And for me, everything that these women do is about facilitating other people with knowledge. And what I wanted to show was this doesn't just help the lot of the wives of this little community, but the men are a lot happier too because, um, you well, know, well, things are working for them as well. Absolutely, but it's incredible how... Um, how uh, uh, and it, it's such a stark example of mm. the, the 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 fact versus the fiction yeah, that, exactly. that runs through this, uh, and which how is people feel threatened, completely by it. threatened by it. Yeah. Um, I mean, the 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 men are appalled. I mean, Bennett is who is Alice's other half mm. is absolutely appalled by her attempts uh, to try and improve what they have. Is very difficult. They have a very difficult relationship. There's no love there. There's certainly mm. no physical love there at all. No, um, and um, uh, and the arrival of this little blue book which which is a huge help to married couples everywhere I'm sure just he can't handle it at all it it blows the lid off in all all sorts of ways Um, yeah and he's he's appalled that she would even use that language and that was not unusual for the time and and I read lots of first person accounts of growing up in Appalachia in the 30s 
the thing that comes across again and again is is how much women were just a slave to their bodies and and endless pregnancies and endless you know breastfeeding and all the rest of it. And it was tough. It was re- it was not a fun yeah. place to grow up. Yeah. Um, although again, with these JSTOR research papers, I found that there were lots of women who bucked the trend. Oh well, th- I mean, did you? So Marjorie comes out of some truth. There must have been yeah. characters there that weren't that weren't. You I was know. reading up about women who'd been imprisoned at the time and they were fierce. I mean, <laughs> and they took no prisoners. And and it's it was really reassuring because you realise that all through history there have been women who say, hang on, nah. I'm not going to live like this. No, thank you very much. And And I loved writing Marjorie so much because she just... She's one of those characters who literally doesn't give a hoot what anybody thinks of her. She doesn't care what the town thinks. She doesn't care what anybody thinks. She doesn't want to get married. I also wanted to write a character who has a really nice time with a man who just respects her, shall we yeah, say. Yeah, and well. so she, she has an equal in Sven who who works at the local yeah. mine, um, who respects her and and is um charming, shall we say. Oh he's abs- <laughs> he's absolutely lovely. He really is really is and 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 as with many of your books, we know that there's going to be some tragedy at some point. Yeah. We know that there's going to be an emotional wrench at some point. And without giving too much away about um Marjorie's side of the story, uh the when her when when the drama happens around Marjorie, um, and there is a moment in the jailhouse where she has to confront a truth, mm-hmm. shall we say? It was almost like she was resigned to knowing that if that something like this might happen at some point. Yeah, because she always knew that if you didn't fit the rules of society in such a, an oppressive town, that in some way you'd get paid back, and this is her payment. And and it, yeah, it broke my heart writing that thing as well. I find it's that if really I don't cry when I write something, I I can't expect the reader to cry either. Um, yeah, I was. I wondered as well, like because you 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 do you do sad so well. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Does does writing does writing sadness change the way you are? In does it Ooh. does it does it affect? Does it? Do you still find the same things? as sad? Does it give you a thicker skin or are you more vulnerable? Gosh, that's a really interesting question. I mean, I'm at an age where I cry at pretty much anything anyway. I cry at adverts, I cry at, you know, whatever. Um, No, I think it all comes from character for me. If I write a character and I'm feeling it and I put them in a terrible position, then I I cry. And if I don't feel properly sad, then I realise I haven't done a good enough job on, on the the backstory um but i i find it cathartic actually if i if i have a day where i've made myself laugh or cry i actually step away from my desk pretty cheerful the the times when i'm an absolute horror the times when i i just can't write properly or i haven't had time to write i've been interrupted all day and then i'm just a kind of grumpy old crone basically <laughs> just <laughs> yeah the the cathartic thing's interesting as well because i do um uh, i i wondered whether or not i hear your your voice in in this um you know not knowing very much about you personally mm. but you you know your voice in this that um, there's there's a there's a chapter that really resonated with me, that made me very sad as well when Alice um, the the trial is coming to an end mm-hmm. and Alice is going to have to she's she's been accepted back to the UK to her parents um, after a hideously cold letter originally um, and and she's sort of contemplating life. Uh, and how it will be back in the UK. Mm. And there's a paragraph about her waiting by the, you know, for the bus that really, you know, really was really... A small s- life. A yeah. small yeah. life. And I just, and I felt at that point that maybe that was, that was your, uh, that there was some kind of anger in there about about her plight and about about how, you know, that still resonates to, Definitely. The, to I mean, a I, degree. I, I get in trouble sometimes because I... I I urge people, women, young women especially, to push outwards because um, 
I'll say this, I'm going to get in terrible trouble again, but I got really <laughs> cross about adult colouring books a while ago and I wrote a kind of jokey book, a jokey piece about how, to me, that, that absolutely exemplifies us being told to stay within the lines. And I just want young women to to get out there, put yourself in your discomfort zone, you know, just go for a walk instead, go and sing in a supermarket, just do something stupid, but just... Get out, claim your place in the world. Don't sit and draw between the lines. And, you know, I do understand that they help people with anxiety and all the rest of it, but but so many women are told again and again that their lives must be small and restricted. And I felt that with Alice because she'd found herself riding across these vast landscapes. Relieving herself behind the trees. Relieving herself like, behind I the trees. I love that bit. Yeah. I love that bit. I was like that. Can well, you imagine her? Like, I went riding. Lifting I her went, skirt and exactly. peeing. Like, I mean, it was just so... But that's what yeah. you had to do. Because I, yeah. I, I rode the horses. I had to do the same trails because I felt oh like gosh. I had to, you know, really experience it. And I said to the woman, so where do we go to the... Oh, pick a tree. Just yeah. like, okay, all right. Cool. Um, but yeah, I just, I just really want to urge young women to just... Get out there, do your thing, be brave. Think of the most extreme thing that you can do and, and do it. And and Alice suddenly recognising that it, once she leaves Kentucky, her life is going to be yeah, vacuum-packed, yeah. if you like, into that tiny little space again. Um, that was a difficult paragraph to read. It really was. That was a difficult paragraph to read. Uh, as well as so as, as well as the, the, the little blue book that is causing all these ripples mm. and the fact versus fiction, uh, as, and especially at the, at the moment and today even, uh, the other thing uh, that is rippling along as well is the pillaging of the land by the corporations. And this is a huge issue in Kentucky. I mean, it's, it is such a spectacular landscape. I can't articulate how beautiful it is. So I want to go... And yet it has a century of logging and oil spills and mines collapsing. And it's just... It's, an, it's still ongoing. And, and if you read up about the conditions that miners were kept in in the 1930s, it was essentially slavery. Mm. I mean, it was indentured slavery. It was just hideous. And... And it's still an issue. If you go there, you know you can. Is it see really the... even now? I mean, you can you can, yes. visit, you can see the destruction. Yeah, you you can, and and there's weird little things like there's um there are places in Kentucky where fires keep burning because underground a miner's caught fire, and then they just stay burning for decades. And so it, there's all these weird wow. things that we would never contemplate here, and slurry dams because there's all sorts of toxic waste products that aren't built properly and burst, and then kill people and destroy landscapes. That's ongoing. I mean, if you Google it, you know, there's examples monthly. And this is 100 years ago. And yet, if you went and, to the, the rainforest in South America and, and, oh, and the, the deforestation, well, the there fires you there, you know, it seems... It's corporations what, yeah. versus... What yeah, have we learned? The landscape. Um, uh, the the backdrop of uh, these, these beautiful Appalachian mountains um, and the intense drama of these girls' lives is telling me that this is a movie, Jojo Moyes. It is hopefully going to be a movie. We sold the movie Please, rights. Please, can I be Marjorie? <laughs> no, no, I'm that's mine. <laughs> <laughs> we sold the movie rights before it was even edited. Fantastic. Um, and it's gone to Universal and we have Old Parker, who's a brilliant director behind um, Marigold Hotel and Mamma Mia 2, uh, writing and directing it. So... Um, I'm hoping it's just a massive excuse for me to go out and spend three months in Kentucky. Yeah, point. you've fallen in love with this place, <laughs> haven't you? The most unlikely place to fall in love with. You know, it's a very poor state in the whole of America. It's not exactly on the tourist trail beyond, mm. you know, some nice rock formations and all the rest of it. But it's absolutely my happy place. I love it. The um, if you you must have, the Appalachian Spring by Aaron Copeland is my favourite piece of music in the That's world. Gorgeous. It's my favourite piece gorgeous. of music, and um, um, and I am absolutely thrilled that we are going to see this in some version on. 
the big screen. Uh, what we also like to do is uh, is have a think. Uh, love you to tell me where you write. What is your what is your writing room? Where are you? I am that flexible thing. Ah, uh, amazing! I write in um, airport lounges. I'll write on trains. I write in bed at five o'clock in the morning. I'm completely unfussed by waiting for a muse. I just I, because I was a journalist for ten years. You just get into that thing of you just have to get on with it. Um, I do have a, an office, um, but it's it's really cold in the winter. So for about three months, if I haven't got my dog there to put my feet on and a radiator to, to snuggle up against, I tend to avoid it and write on the sofa. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, thank you so much. The Giver of Stars. The, just explain The Giver of Stars for the us because it's stars a great title. is the name of a poem that forms an absolute pivotal point when, when Alec, Alice's imagination is fired up, not just by the little blue book, but by this poem. And she's... Um, inspired to do something which sets off a whole chain of events. Well done, Alice. Um, uh, Jojo, it's an absolute pleasure to meet you. I've really enjoyed the book so much and it's great to speak to you. Uh, congratulations and thank you for coming in. Thank you so much for having me. 